Welcome to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Ken Ball and Gina Gatso, co-authors of Surviving the Baby Boomer Exodus, Part 2 of 2. On behalf of the entire Strategy Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Ken Ball and Gina Gatso, co-authors of Surviving the Baby Boomer Exodus, part two of two. The Strategy Driven Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag articles found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this special edition podcast, Ken Ball and Gina Gottsil share with us their insights on effectively capturing, retaining, and transferring the knowledge of departing workers, thereby enabling those who remain to continue to use this hard-won information to the benefit of the organization. And so now, without any further delays, let's get started. With respect to a knowledge retention program, what do you see as being some of the key characteristics of a really strong program? Well, I think it depends on the method that you use okay. to retain the knowledge. So, you know, we talk about mentoring, communities of practice, social networks, after-action reviews, and storytelling, and each of them will have different elements to them. But generally speaking, I think that the characteristics of a good program are absolutely careful planning and analysis at the at the start. Mm-hmm. So with with analysis, uh, you're going to capture. You're going to you're going to figure out what you need to capture and transfer, and and who your audience is. Most importantly, I think that's also very critical. And you're going to develop metrics that'll help you measure the success. Um, I think that good communication is another characteristic of a good of a good knowledge capture program. If you don't get the word out about what you're doing, people aren't going to know about it. They're not going to mm-hmm. reap the benefits of, of what you've been planning because these do take time to put together. And I think participation is also really important and, and a key characteristic, um, both at, at a sponsor and at, and at um, a stakeholder level. I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, People really need to be engaged and interested in what's happening. They need to be willing to to share knowledge, and they also need to be willing to accept it. So you have to have people who are wanting to participate in the process of of getting getting the word out about what they know, and then also you need people who are happy to receive it. For me, sure. those are the key characteristics. Okay, Gina, could I? probe just a little deeper on on one of the items, and uh, you talked about the importance of planning and knowing what to gather. I I find Mm -hmm. a lot of 
actually I find every organization I work with to be resource constrained. Uh-huh. And, and so subsequently they don't have the, the personnel or, or the time resources or, or the financial resources to bring someone in to do it for them to capture the knowledge of everyone within their organization. How do leaders go about being selective and identifying those whose knowledge that they should go after and capture and retain, or, or maybe a, a portion of this person's knowledge that they should go after and, and capture or retain? Well, I think that it's important to, certainly if someone is at, at a place where they, they know they're going to be hurting if someone were to leave, Mm-hmm. to analyze, to prioritize first and, and analyze what those, what those skills might be. So, for example, in our case at TechPros, we knew that Merrill had a tremendous amount of knowledge about writing documents that we would, in, we would then turn over to clients to gain more business. That was incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, she also knew a lot about project management and a lot about various clients that we had worked with years ago, but maybe we weren't working with them presently and perhaps we wanted to work with them again in the future. So she knew about those really valuable and important projects. Okay, So yeah. I, think, I think it's important to, if you don't have a lot of resources and certainly every, every business is restrained, especially these days. I think you need to prioritize, figure out what the what the most important knowledge is to retain for business continuity, and then move forward on that. So sure. I, I I think prioritizing is the key. That's that's what I can offer. Okay. Now, another situation that I've run into is working within an organization where there's a population of folks that I'll say are in that retirement range. In other words, maybe they're of an age group that based on the retirement programs the company offers, have the opportunity they could retire now. They're within the window of the retirement plan. Of course, they would have the opportunity to stay with the company. It could be another 10, 15 years. So, the company just doesn't know. But they want mm-hmm. to plan to capture these folks' knowledge. They've been identified as being critical to the organization or having knowledge that's critical to the organization. So in attempting to plan, they want to do some estimating as to when the folks might retire. How do you go about doing something like that, and are there any legal or ethical restrictions that our audience ought to be aware of when planning to capture the knowledge of people who are expected to retire? We spoke about this briefly in the book. Uh, One of the sources we talked to, like I said earlier, suggested that boomers aren't the only employees who have valuable knowledge, and, and they aren't the only employees that leave. So it's important to ask every employee what their plans are for the future. And this can be done during annual reviews or meetings with managers, etc. 
So when you ask everybody what their plans are, you accomplish two things. You, uh, you gather information about everybody, so you know where everybody stands. And then you also don't make people feel as if they're being segregated or that they're yes. going to be limited because of their age. Okay. And, and I, I have actually had people provide that feedback. Anytime mm-hmm. when I've seen some of these surveys go out, asking their intention, mm-hmm. they do get very concerned about the career limitations, especially those that have really no intention of retiring sure. for maybe a decade. Sure. And they have career aspirations just like younger folks do, and they want to move up the corporate ladder oh, and achieve yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. There, there are many studies that have shown that older workers stay even longer with their organizations than some younger workers. So it is, you know, you really don't want to make any assumptions that just because someone is reaching, quote, unquote, a certain age that they may be wanting to leave because they may be very loyal to your organization, may want to stay, and, you know, it would be, it's a good idea to just ask everyone. Certainly, certainly. Now, I've encountered many instances where employees come to believe that their knowledge really represents their value to the organization to such a point that if they surrender that knowledge, that they've devalued themselves to the point that their employment is actually now at risk. Mm. How do you overcome that fear within employees that have knowledge that's critical to be captured for retention? Yeah, that, that's such a great question, Nathan. Mm-hmm. And we examined that in, in the book mm-hmm. and, and talked to a number of people about that and, and really asking that, that very same kind of a question. And I think one of the things that we distilled from the, the investigation and the talking was that it often is largely a matter of what is the culture in the organization. Okay. What does... Does the organization, in its culture, value knowledge? Does it value older workers? Does it value the time it takes for people to talk and share knowledge? And so I think it's really vitally important for the audience, the the, the folks who are interested in, in pursuing a knowledge retention investigation, to really take an examination of their culture. Does senior management support the notion that there can be a fair amount of time and effort expended in making sure people are sharing? And I think some of the things that organizations can do is they can look at, are there rewards programs in place? You know, some companies Mm -hmm. actually offer rewards to employees who share what they know. Certainly one of the most important things is recognition. It's, it's a primary motivator for all of us as human beings, and that is we want to be recognized and appreciated. And there are some organizations through knowledge sharing that do that exceptionally well, where the individual wants to share what it is that they know because they're recognized as experts and valued employees. I think there's also just the sense of building into the organization that sense of satisfaction that a person gets 
by in fact sharing, and uh, they they so that that they feel valued. And some of those things can, if you're not in the right kind of organization, it can take a while to turn around. But I think those are key to to getting over that feeling that somehow they're they're going to be they're at risk because they've shared what they what they know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to your point, Ken, I, I've seen an organization that I've one that I've experienced that has done knowledge sharing really well. They actually had a monthly newsletter where they would highlight individuals who contributed knowledge in some way there to their program. Excellent. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. There we go. Yeah. Now, Gina, back to a, a point you had made on the characteristics of a strong knowledge retention program, Mm -hmm. you mentioned that it was important not just to capture the right knowledge, but then to make it available in a way that the receiver, the the person that was now going to use this knowledge, would actually be able to access and then be able to use. I was Mm -hmm. wondering if you or Ken could share with us some of the things you've seen leaders put in place to ensure that this captured knowledge is available at the time and it's presented in a way that folks then can use it? Well, I think three things come to mind. One is that there are some very exciting things happening in social networking today. We interviewed a company in Texas, Sabre Holdings. They, mm-hmm. they created that great Sabre airline reservation system. Yes. And they're doing something very, very exciting with something they call Sabertown, which is providing an opportunity and a platform for people to, ostensibly people to discover that they, they, they like dogs in common or they're, uh, they, they love playing chess or what have you. So it started very organically. And what they found was that over time, the conversations began to shift towards what it is that they know and do in their respective roles. And Sabre was finding that it was uh, and has been and continues to be a very, very effective way to make sure that this, this captured knowledge stays available and is, in fact, shared throughout the organization by means of social networking. Two other things. We talked to an aerospace company that was sponsoring during lunch periods and after work knowledge share fairs, and and that Uh is that employees would literally set up tables in in cafeteria or or what have you or in in a a large meeting room, and they would share what it is that they did in their respective skill cluster or their department or their group. And if you had interest in that, you'd go by that table and you'd chat them up, and it turned out to be a very, very effective way of, of again, of sharing information and making sure that it stayed circulating in the organization. And then the last I'll mention very quickly is mentoring. Mentoring is a just a, a phenomenally important way for people in a typically a one-on-one kind of a situation, the knower and the receiver, mm-hmm. to be sharing information and to making sure that 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 information does stay captured uh, and and is always available and useful to those who need to know it. Sure. Those are great examples. 
personally, I, I know I value a lot the, the mentoring and the sharing and my work, I've always called it Lunch and Learns, where we do knowledge <laughs> yeah, sharing right. over lunch. Exactly. As with any program that a company is going to invest significant resources in doing, you know, the leadership team is always looking for that return on investment. I was wondering how does an organization go about measuring the value of its knowledge retention program, and maybe more specifically, how does it measure the return on investment? Well, we, we did talk about ROI briefly in the book, mm-hmm. and um, there are three steps I can share. Uh, you want to show the benefit of the program and how the, the program pays for itself. I think that's the idea. So um, the, the first thing you do, the first step, is to look at the metrics that you're using to evaluate it. So, for example, if you're using attrition data, you, mm-hmm. would, you would assign a price to the cost of losing an employee. So how much does it cost to lose a long-time employee? Another metric you could use is cu- uh, customer comment data. So if, um, if you have customers weighing in on on where they feel like they're not getting good service, you could ask yourself how much it costs when a customer doesn't get the service that they expect because of lack of knowledge on the part of your staff. So those are some numbers you could, you could create. And then uh, the second step would be to attach a price to each of those expenses that are associated with the knowledge retention program. So the, the time spent by staff to work on the program, create, um, you know, your, the web, if there's a website for the program or if there are other kinds of handouts or other communications, how much all that time costs to create it, um, any equipment, et cetera. And then you compare the cost to the cost of the measurements that you're using. So, you know, you'd use the cost of attrition or customer comments. And we always we, we suggested this in the book that managers err on the side of caution when calculating ROI sure. and use really simple numbers and conservative numbers. Mm-hmm. And the the reason why we suggested that is because if you say you're calculating your retention program ROI based on attrition data, you would measure the attrition data before and during and after your program, ideally. And so let's say you notice that the attrition numbers are are going down since you launched your program. Not as many people are leaving. And wow, that's great. It must be because of of this wonderful program. But that's not always going to be the only factor. You know, the the economy is is a big part of why people are staying in jobs, too. So you just really need to be very very conservative, and, um, you know, we, we spoke to leaders who, about this topic, about ROI in our research, and, and they said the same thing. We, we came in feeling that way, and, and it was confirmed by some of the folks who have implemented programs in their workplaces, and it is very difficult to, to ca- calculate an, an absolute value. But um, one of the one of the experts we talked to said, you know, how do you calculate the value of a social network that tears down the walls that exist in an organization? You know, you have two people who would have never interacted previously, 
and all of a sudden, because of this social network, one is able to post a question to your to the social network, and the other one now has access to to that question and can jump in and, and help that person get what they need. You know, how do you calculate that? Uh, Saber also had some really. The uh, Ken just mentioned Saber. Saber had some really good good examples of what came out of their social network of the the connections that people made with each other and how they were able to then sort of circle back to that person. Now they're not talking about chess. Now they're talking about a, a business issue. Well, how do you how do you measure that? It's, it's very difficult. But I, I hope that that helps and answers your question a little bit. Well, that does, and I couldn't agree more with you with making it simple. So often mm-hmm. I see project managers coming up with these very complicated, very technical ways to try to calculate ROI, and they yeah. lose credibility when they do that. And mm-hmm. with a very simple, easy-to-understand measurement, mm-hmm. it's very easy to achieve the buy-in. And when you get the buy-in and you can show that you're successful now squeezing out a few more pennies with something that's much more complicated just it just doesn't make sense. And yeah. so I really appreciated <laughs> I really appreciated that you're encouraging our folks to keep it simple. And, and again, keep it simple, really yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well Ken and Gina, I want to thank you not only for your time, but for sharing your incredible insights on the effective acquisition, retention, and transfer of employee knowledge. I do want to mention to our listeners that they need to understand we have just barely scratched the surface of the incredible knowledge that is contained within your book. And with retaining knowledge of departing employees, whether it would be for retirement or any other reason, being such a critical uh, factor to the ongoing operations of an organization, I think it's important. And I hope our listeners will go out and pick up a copy of your book. And more importantly, I hope they're going to take the time to study the principles and put them in place in their organizations as they create knowledge retention programs so that they can retain the knowledge that was hard-won and and quite honestly very expensive uh, from those who have made the organization a success today so that those who come after them can continue that trend of success tomorrow. So thank you both very much for joining me. Well, thank you. Thank you, Nathan. It's been a pleasure, Nathan. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. I would like to personally thank Ken Ball and Gina Gottsell for being with us today and sharing their insights on how to effectively capture and transfer baby boomer knowledge to incoming Gen X and Y employees. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider voting for us on Podcast Alley and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about Ken Ball and Gina Gottsell and Surviving the Baby Boomer Exodus at www.survivingthebabyboomerexodus.com. Until next time, so long.